Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership, and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan, and as always, I'm here with Mark Rosweller. By way of introduction, for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis, security, and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak, and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. Mark, welcome back. It's great to have you with us again here on the Allegorical Life podcast. Now, today we're talking about a blog post that you wrote recently uh, about the life of Brian Rudd. Now, can you start by telling us who was Brian Rudd and how did you actually come to meet him? So Brian Rudd uh, was a homeless gentleman who lived in Sydney who um, was orphaned at a very young age, I think before the age of one, I I think from memory. And uh, and he was quite iconic on the Sydney streets. He was a shoeshiner. Uh, and I met him uh, purely by chance. I was walking up Pitt Street Mall one day after a meeting at work and I actually walked past him as he was setting up um, the stand. And something in my mind said, go back and get your shoes polished. And it was just one of the, I felt very drawn to him for some reason. And so I turned around and went back and and uh, he just finished setting up and I, I went to sit down on his chair and he barked at me <laughs> and he said in a very sort of not aggressive voice but assertive voice, he said, you know, don't break my chair. And and I thought, oh, fair enough. Well, you know, I thought that's probably reasonable given it's probably the only chair he's got. So I sat down and, and put my foot up on the stool and um, and he looked up uh, and he looked straight into my eyes and I'd, I'd never seen such intensity in a person's eyes. He was uh, He was so alive. And um, and anyway, he started cleaning my shoes. But um, but more to the point, he started speaking, and he had this. He had views on philosophy, and he had views on politics and life in general, and people and their their problems and their woes, and just an extraordinary man to talk to. He had me engaged for a good twenty minutes or more as he polished my shoes, and and uh, I paid him more than twice what he asked for because I was just so enamoured by by what he'd said and. And he said a number of things, not the least of which is that he didn't uh, feel sorry for himself. He didn't. Um, he accepted the circumstances that he was in. I'm not sure that he necessarily liked them, but but I remember him saying, "He said, you know, if, I, I just want to be the best Jewish shiner in Sydney." And he said, um, I, "I want to have that reputation." And uh, and uh, and he reflected on some of his street colleagues, and he was a bit cranky with them. Actually, he said, "Look, all they do is expect charity." And um, and put their hand out. He said, "I just refuse to live that way." He said, I'll, "I'll." He said, "I'll make my way through life just like everybody else." And um, and I just walked away thinking, "What a profound experience!" And and it was by chance, although I was I was drawn to him for some reason, and I didn't think much more of it uh, as I walked away. But in the sort of years that followed, that I often spoke about. Uh, that experience to people to say, look, even even you know people who have hit really hard times um, still have that capacity to choose their view or choose their perspective on life, and and clearly he did. So so I don't think he had an enjoyable life. I think his life was pretty hard, um, but he chose to accept it at least on some level, uh, and he chose 
to make the most of it and he engaged in the world. And, and he was ironically more present uh, and more engaging um, than just about everybody else walking up Pitt Street Mall who were in a daze or in a stupor caught up in their head. And um, and he wasn't, you know, he was very plugged into the world and everything that was going on. So it was a really nice experience. And I, I, um, I thought a lot about him uh, over the years. And then, of course, I read uh, a newspaper article uh, about 18 months ago that uh, where um, they announced that he passed away, which is very sad, of course. And I, instantly, I sort of thought back to to when we'd had that conversation, and, and I read the article, and and I thought oh, that all makes sense now because he, he was um, very spiritually in tune in a very esoteric and nondescript way. So he 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 never spoke directly to religion, but but you could tell that he had a spirituality to him or a, or a, a level of wisdom or a, a sense of insight, that, um, which is probably what I was drawn to. And, and uh, so, you know, long story short, he, his dying wish was to have his ashes spread on the Ganges River in India. And um, Steve Waugh uh, had also known about him and, uh, and he, and he honoured that wish. I just thought that was such a great story and a really nice way to, um, uh, to, to, uh, um, celebrate somebody's life who had lived a very, very difficult and hard life on the streets but was honoured in such a memorable and befitting way. Mark, how do you think Brian managed to touch so many people's hearts despite his circumstances? Um, he was certainly a pragmatist uh, from, from my brief encounter with him um, and he was a realist, I think, but but I think he just took people for how they came. And and for a man to kneel at the feet of another person and shine their shoes, I mean, there's a very strong religious symbol in that. I mean, in Christianity, the the kneeling of Christ before people and washing their feet or bathing their feet in oil uh, and uh, and the like is a very, very powerful symbol of, of being in service and a very powerful symbol of humility, uh, but also a very powerful symbol of wisdom. And I think Brian was a very earthly sort of person, so he's very grounded and I think he was just able to connect with anyone and everyone because he had little expectation about life. And um, and I think he had learnt, um, he certainly learnt humility, but he'd also learnt to be assertive, I think, and to stand up for himself in a very tough world on the streets. So he was certainly no pushover. I mean, when he barked at me when I went to sit on the chair, that was, you know, it took me back a little, but, but, uh, but also thought, well, he's got the right, it's his asset. You know, it's probably his only asset, but... He has a right to a right to express it that way. So, so I think he always had a positive disposition. I think he engaged people uh, in conversations that you know, that they enjoyed, um, and he was, you know, generally speaking, as I understand it, at least, always pretty upbeat and um, and participating, uh, as Joseph Campbell would say, you know, participating joyfully in the sorrows of the world. And so, despite his external circumstances, I think internally he was, you know, relatively at peace with himself. Allegorical Life Podcast. Mark, how do you think we can all learn from Brian in terms of leading a meaningful and positive life, no matter what our situations are? I think um, I said in my blog, you know, most of us are not too far away from Brian's situation, I've got to say. And I know people in Canberra who are now homeless, and I know some of their stories. And, you know, they were at one point in their life very successful, or relatively successful at least. And Circumstances turned up, and and that success disappeared. At least as we understand it, or at least as we as we wish for it, 
Um, and they end up on the streets, you know, doing it really tough. And, and some don't make it, of course. Some, some struggle and, and uh, potentially pass away. And, um, and others just, you know, turn to drugs and alcohol and, and, and really, really do it hard. But, but, but others, you know, either escape that or are able to navigate it a bit more successfully. Um, so I think he sort of showed us that um, you actually don't need a lot to be who you truly are. And, and you know, his, as I understand him in that brief moment and by reading about him since, that, that he just uh, fulfilled a role in the world to help make others' day a little better. So by kneeling down at their feet and polishing their shoes, you know, we all do that because we want to feel a bit better. We do that because we want to present better or look a bit smarter or sharper. Um, and Brian did that for people. So it's, what, a, what a nice thing to do. And, you know, so he was motivated in part to earn some money, to, to survive or to live, but he was also motivated to help other people. And, and he just didn't need a lot to do that. So I think he, at one level, he probably fulfilled a life wish or a, or a life path of being in service to others in a very, very simple way. And, and I'm not suggesting for a minute, Jordan, that that was a, a, a delightful life or, or a pleasant life as you and I would understand it. But but I think he was fundamentally happy. He certainly, that's certainly what radiated out of his eyes, no doubt about it, and it certainly radiated from his voice that in no way did he see himself as a victim or hard done by. Um, so I think, you know, the lesson there really is that, you know, how much do you need to be happy? Um, how, how much do you need to, to make something of your life? And, you know, he had nothing really, and yet he made a life out of nothing. So... So it's it's often um, in spiritual and mythological and allegorical um, language and stories that these people are often profoundly uh, wise, and we don't see them that way. We judge them harshly as as on some level having failed or not succeeded in a very neoliberalist or competitive you know Western society. But I wonder who's more successful. Is Brian more successful or are we more successful? I mean, a, a man who can kneel at the feet of another and shine their shoes and speak to philosophy and make their day a better day, to me, is probably living a more successful life than someone who's stressing, their, their, you know, stressing so much that they're taking antidepressants and, you know, consuming methamphetamines and getting drunk every night. So, and that's probably a bit extreme, but um, but it's a reasonable contrast, I think, so... And I think what was also impressive was was Steve Waugh. I mean, Steve Waugh was the other end of the spectrum. So he, he I mean, he was he lived a clean life. I'm not saying for a minute he 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 epitomised what I just uh, described, but but he did have everything, and um, and he was uh, lauded as a great leader in cricket. He was a very wealthy man and very successful in sport and business. Um, yet he also had the capacity to see the suffering of another and to to act. Uh, to honour a dying wish. And I think the really powerful part of the whole story is that irrespective of what end of the spectrum you're at, you have the capacity to be there and do something for somebody else. So, so Brian had nothing, really nothing, and he could do something for people. And Steve Waugh, you know, arguably, metaphorically, um, had everything. And he could also do something for others as well. So we all sit somewhere on that spectrum between, you know, essentially arguably having everything and having nothing, and we have the capacity to help somebody else. And I say this throughout all of my blogs, that if you can rebalance that in your mind between self and other and, and take take the, the musing of the mind and the 
meditations of the mind away from self and self-pity and self-cherishing and self-grasping and the me, myself, I, and move that energy and move that attention and intention to assisting others where it's reasonable and practicable to do so, you find happiness and, and you live, you start to live a better life. And, and I just think the story of Brian and Steve Waugh is a, is a great allegory for that, for that lesson. Um, it really, really struck, stu struck me when I read the news article that he was a, a profound spiritual lesson playing out in the, in the streets of Sydney in a major capital city in the world. And most people were walking past and not even realizing it. <laughs> and, um, uh, that worries me a lot, you know, That the, uh, and I've said this for many years, that the profundity of spiritual message, irrespective of the faith that you follow, and even if you don't follow one, but the profundity of the spiritual message is always in the subtlety. It's never blindingly obvious. It's it's always in the subtlety. Um, you know, the spiritualists would say that spirit speaks in the quietest of moments, not, you know, it, it's never up in lights. So you, you will never take the profundity of life by seeing it up on a billboard. Um, you'll see it in the most quaint or the most, um, uh, you know, the quietest of moments or the most subtle of actions is is where you see the power of life and, and the power of compassion and, and the power of love. It, it's never it's never blindingly obvious. Uh, you know, it's always very subtle. Now, of course, Brian's last wish was that his ashes be scattered on India's holy Ganges. Uh, something that was carried out in 2017 by former cricket captain Stephen Waugh. Now, the sitting Ronnie Held wrote about the story and revealed that before the first ball uh, of each day of the Test Series, around 3 million people tuned into their local radio stations to hear the next instalment of a 10-part story about the life of Brian. Uh, Indian broadcaster Tariq Ansari said, People across the country here have taken Brian into their hearts. For most Indians, it's extremely touching that an Australian who had such a tragic life and no contact with India wanted to come here so much at the end. Mark, what do you think this story tells us about faith and compassion? That is universal, John. It, it, it touches hearts without exception. And, um, and that's why I speak so much to compassion, uh, because it's innate. It, it exists in every human being. Whether it's accessible is a different story. And for some people, you know, the accessibility is not too far away and, you know, with, with a good life and some meditation and practice and prayer and, and, and those other rituals and symbols that we put around our spirituality, it can be accessed. For, for some other people, it, it, as a Buddhist, I would say it could be lifetimes away. They're, they're so deluded in, in, in their minds around violence and anger and, and uh, self-cherishing and self-grasping that they've got no chance of accessing their compassion in this life because they're too deluded. Um, and they're kind of the extremes, I suppose. But, but, but I think, um, and I said in my blog that, you know, that the life of Brian is a movie, you know, Brian was, was claimed to be the Messiah, but he was just an average man. And that's what he tried to tell everybody. Everybody saw um, uh, this Brian as a, as an average man, but I think he was actually a Messiah. I, I think he was the exact opposite of what, uh, Monty Python was trying to portray in the life of Brian, and that's the wonderful paradox about about the movie and the, and the real life story. That you know, one didn't want to be the Messiah and kept telling people that, and this this uh, gentleman Brian probably was the Messiah and and uh, and didn't you know didn't want to admit it. But so I think for for people in India, I think they take their religion very seriously and they're very. Um, multicultural or a multi-faith community. You know, they've got, I think there's over a thousand uh, variations of religion in India. I know there's a lot, it may not quite be a thousand, but it's a lot. Um, 
and I so I think for the world, India is one of the you know one of the great homes of spirituality, and certainly where a lot of religion came from in in the modern world. And I think they felt touched because somebody so far away would regard India as their home. And um, you know, to put it right out there, if uh, as a Buddhist, well, you know, maybe Brian was you know in a previous life was born in India, maybe that's where he wanted to return. You know, it's kind of it's a nice thing to think about, you know, irrespective of where you might sit with faith, but it's just something something quite nice to contemplate, I think. Thanks for joining us today on The Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying our podcast, you might like to add a review on iTunes and that'll help other people find us as well. Thank you and we hope to have you with us again soon.